had I I played a lot of games early at the start of my career in my first year, and then I sat for quite a while, and uh, I'd never thought about confidence before. But I can remember going into that game in Hartford, and I was so scared, worried, unconfident, whatever you want to call it, that. I, I could hardly play. And even Chase came up to me at a face-off and he goes, what is your deal? Get into it. Like, that's how bad. And I'm like, I don't know. And so I did have doubts. There were days where you're like, oh, my, can I do this? Am I in the right spot? Am I setting myself up for failure? You know, even. And the other thing was, you're a kid. Yeah. You're a kid running around the North America and and it's overwhelming at times. And you don't know you again. You think you know everything because you're you're a kid, but when you sit and reflect on it, I think deep down it was like, "Geez, am I am I supposed to be where I'm at?" That was Rhett Warner, 700 game NHLer and three time bridesmaid at the Stanley Cup Championships, and you're listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padolin. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there, and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. Um, or if this is your first episode, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to have you. Uh, today we have on Mr. Rhett Warner. Rhett Warner was a second round draft pick, number 27 overall, which in to this day and age would still be a first rounder. Um, back in the 1994 draft, he was a second pick uh, Florida took that year. Ed Jovanowski was first overall, um, and I followed on Rhett's heels at 31. So um, Florida had had lots of picks in the in the top two rounds and uh and Rhett and I go back to the WHL days where he played for the Blades um we played on a under 18 team together for Canada uh national national under 18 team we also played a world junior championship together and we also played with the Florida Panthers together um in my in my rookie year pro before I got traded so it's been almost that long since Rhett and I have had a conversation which is absolutely crazy uh Warnsey, I think you're going to enjoy a ton he played over 700 games in the NHL over 100 in the playoffs um which is a massive statement and he's been to the Stanley Cup final three times um, on three different occasions with three different teams. Once with the Panthers in '96, uh, where they got swept by the um, by the Colorado Avalanche. I was actually a black ace during that time, so I traveled with the team. I stood on the ice against the Penguins when they beat Mario Lemieux and Jaeger. Um, but Rhett was actually in the lineup, um, you know, fighting tooth and nail with those guys. And uh, and then he got traded. Rhett did um, as a 22-year-old to Buffalo and in at the deadline. And after he got traded there, he played 13 games with the Sabres. They went to Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final. Um, for those of you old enough to remember, uh, still one of the most contested and controversial Stanley Cup Finals ever because Brett Sco- Hall scored in triple overtime in Game 6 um, to win it. 
But at the time, there was a crease violation rule that they'd brought in that year that you were not allowed to have any part of your um, body skates in the crease uh, when a goal was scored. They'd been calling it tight, like I'm talking tight all year long. And Brett Hall scored this goal with his skate in the crease in triple overtime in Game Six to win the save between the Dallas Stars the Cup, and it never got overturned. And it, you know, not that I'm a hockey historian, but it still is a black mark in my mind on the NHL. I, I, I have never seen an official release. I've heard Rhett say in other interviews that um, you know he wished that they were given an apology or something, some acknowledgement, but he feels that they never actually did lose that series, although obviously uh, they did. But um, as being on the other side of it, he doesn't felt like they were beaten. Um, and then he went to, after he got traded to Calgary, uh, Calgary went on that epic red mile run in 2004, um, where they got, they lost in double overtime at home to the Tampa Bay Lightning, went back to Tampa, uh, lost a close one. I think it was 3-1 or something to Tampa in game seven. Uh, and Rhett played 24 games in that playoff series as well. So, uh, we talk about that. Um, not often many guys get to do it, let alone with three different teams. Unfortunately, he was never able to hoist the cup or to get the ring, but, um, a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment either way. Rhett's a really good guy. We talk about some cool stuff. Um, we talk about what it was like back in our era um, with the fact of you know the zero communication, uh, how much you were left to yourself to figure things out, what that meant to mental toughness. We talk about the culture back then, how it's changed now. Um, some aspects definitely for the better. We feel some aspects for the worst. Uh, we talk about arrogance and swagger in this. We talk about what it means to be a tame player. We talk about how if you don't feel like you're playing uh, on the team you're playing as a family, you're probably not you know, playing in the right spot, that that's the way it should feel um, when it's done well. And, uh, and yeah, lots of lessons from, from Rhett. We talk about authenticity as well. Uh, Rhett is somebody that was always really authentic and genuine. What you got or what you saw with Rhett was who he was and, and what he was all about. And, uh, and I think that type of personal identity helps. It helps as much today as it did back when we were teenagers trying to figure it out. Um, having, having that real sense of self, um, matters and it was, it allowed Rhett to fit in with some of these older veterans that allowed him to carve a spot in the NHL and, um, and yeah, and I, I think he's carried that with him throughout his career and he's, uh, he's quite, um, you know, open, I guess, with his comments here today, as as he always has been. So this is a fun one. Red always makes me laugh. It was great to see his face. I warns you if you're listening to this, really appreciate your time. And um, and yeah, I mean, I just reflect a touch, and I'll, I'll just have a little shout out to the teams and the players that are out there right now. Uh, that a lot of you maybe feel like, you know, Rhett and I did when we were younger, that you're on an island, that things aren't really rolling for you right now. I mean, this COVID era and what's happening in the hockey world Many junior players aren't able to play. Even pro players aren't able to play right now um, in the AHL. And, you know, what you know as hockey isn't what it is. And that's tough. And it takes, you know, it takes some perseverance and some resilience. And it takes uh, a gut check at times to see how important this game is to you to keep your, to keep your development on the rails. And, um, and if you're in that spot, just keep your head up. Keep going. Um, reach out to somebody, right? Whether that's a, 
you know, a teammate or whether that's a, a mentor or a role model or someone like me um, to help you get through some of this stuff, this can be an opportunity for you as well. And uh, perspective is everything. So make sure you keep your perspective in the right place and don't let your environment get in the way of your hopes and dreams because uh, your hopes and dreams are too important for that. So without further ado, let's bring you Mr. Rhett Warner. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. Here we go. All right, here we are. This is episode, shit, man, 49 uh, right now. I was going to save you for 50, but, you know what I mean, you're not that special, Warnsy. No. But, uh, <laughs> but we got Rhett Warner on. And, and uh, Rhett, first of all, obviously, thanks so much for, for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to, to the chat. Anytime. A guy got drafted with and had to hang around FLA with. I, I got lots of time to do this. No kidding, eh? Like, that's... Uh, when I was looking back at our rap sheets, right? I mean, it was it was an interesting start. We played, we ended up playing together four different teams, and I was doing the research. We had the under seventeen team, I think, if that's or under eighteen. What team was that? Was that the, the one in uh, Japan? Oh, that was not good for Rhett. Rhett was a little fat and out of shape and got benched. <laughs> so, a neat trip to go to Japan as a kid, but uh, unsuccessful on the hockey front. Was that under 18? Like, what was the name of that? Was that under that 17? Was under, I think it's the Ivan Holinchka Gretzky thing now. And that's under 18 players. Yeah. And that's the first time they put together a Canadian national team, I think. So, yeah, we were fortunate enough to play on that together. I, I mean, God, I don't. I wish I had a clearer recall of all that stuff. And and if you do, by all means, shed some light on it. But I don't even like, I don't, was there like a training camp for that? Or did we, is that just a selection? I think it was just a selection, wasn't there it? There was no, yeah, there was a selection. And then we, I mean, I didn't even know it existed. I can yeah. remember getting a phone call early, I think July saying, hey, we need you to come to Toronto or wherever we were for, I mean, it was training camp. It wasn't selection. You were made the team. And you're, we're going to go to Japan, and it's like, oh, okay. You don't turn down Team Canada, but I was in no way ready for any of that. I didn't even know it existed. So, <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, because I don't even remember that camp in Toronto. Like, I, I definitely remember aspects of being in Japan. Like, that was pretty surreal, actually, for us at the time. We were young guys, and in Japan, and that whole culture was vastly different. I remember us dying over the fact that there was uh, like, it looked like a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old were like taking beers out of that vending machine and that there was beers in a vending machine that you could actually purchase. So we thought like that, for some reason, that sticks in my head. Jason Weimer (laughs) and I might've purchased a few of those. I might've found their way into my pocket. Uh, So we played on that team. We had a, well, I mean, you can't even call it a team, but we played in the same, um, we played in that WHL All-Star game together. I guess that was the same team. And then we had the World Junior team, and then obviously Florida for the brief moment that I was there um, as a player. So we were teammates a few times. Um, but yeah, man, like uh, we'd like to rewind it here and like just go back a bit because a lot of the listeners here are either, you know, aspiring players or junior players themselves, or like, you know, want to get, want to have an NHL contract sometimes, you know. And, uh, and I think it's kind of interesting because a lot of times we don't talk about the stuff that kind of really gets you there you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah you know like where everyone's worried about power skating and their edges and you know all that kind of stuff and there's a it's usually it's a grind you I mean there's there's stuff that happens in everyone's career and i don't know yours um you know looking at the at the at the back of the hockey card you mean you played as a you played as a 19 year old 18 year old even you know and and kind of were in the nhl i mean you didn't have one 
You had nine games in the minors there when you were 19. Other than that, people would think it looked like a pretty free ride. But I, I guarantee you there are some moments in that journey that um, probably stand out, you know, that were that were harder than others. Well, a few things in that. Speaking of hockey cards, I'm always – well, for my friends and, and – I don't we'll call them fans, acquaintances, guys that know I played. Uh, there's a hockey card of you're on it with me. I, I my my one of my hockey cards. It's you and me in the back uh, after winning the gold for for Team Canada. We got the goofy Canadian flag hats on and we're kind of <laughs> celebrating. So I, always I love get, that one actually. So that's yeah. your that's your that's uh oopsie that's your card. Is that what that is? That's a Rhett Warner. Yeah, the front is me and in, in my number thirty. I think uh, World Juniors. Those yeah. are nice cards. That Dunruss set, actually, that was some of my favorite cards. Um, and, and and while just it's such a different world now. Like you mentioned, power skating. I didn't know what power skating was <laughs> when I was going through it. So uh, a lot of things changed. That's for sure. But right. uh, let's start there. What about so your time? I mean, small town Saskatchewan boy, Shonovan, Saskatchewan. Um, Made made the made the WHLs as a as a sixteen year old and then drafted in ninety four in the second round. It would it would now be the first round today, um, but it seems like you were always like you always had this identity. It looks like as a player, like were you ever a, like a high flying like defenseman, even like back in the minor hockey days, or what was your like? How did that genesis start? I grew up in. Um, I was born in Shonovan, which is was the big city because that's where the that's where the hospital was. You could be born there, whereas the town <laughs> I grew up in, Frontier, there was two hundred people and there wasn't there wasn't a hospital. You could even, be born so, there. Yeah, it was either in the tub or you got to Shonovan. <laughs> so uh, when I grew up, I still remember my first. I've told this story lots. Uh, my. F- First thing with hockey, I don't even know how to describe it. I was in kindergarten and the teacher asked who wants to play hockey and I raised my hand. And so I was signed up for hockey all of a sudden and I'm walking home from school and I'm like, geez, I'm going to be in trouble. I didn't ask my dad. Like <laughs> thinking it was going to be a big deal, but apparently dad was okay with it. And in a small town, you got to play on two or three teams because there was not enough kids. So maybe I was a goal scorer then but mostly because there was no one else on the ice. And <laughs> so, but no, I, I, I think my identity from probably from the age of 12 on was always the same, just kind of a stay at home, uh, steady D man. So never, never was really interested in rushing the puck. And a funny thing, I got a 12 year old. Now, if you watched him play, you you would know whose kid it was right away. It's the exact same thing. So he he's going to be uh, SOL because he doesn't have the skating stride to go anywhere. <laughs> is that a, like even at a young age? Like is that's just obviously I shouldn't say obviously. Is is it a personality thing? You mean like being twelve and just wanting to be that type of player? I think so. Uh, I've got no other reason not to think it right like from day one he's just it's it's what he's wanted to do i don't push him in hockey i think he's got to find his own way we don't overdo it uh but his tendencies are just he wants to be back and just kind of manage the game and not he's he's not overly concerned with holding on to the puck and making fancy plays so i i think a lot of times yeah it's personality i mean it's the same thing if you're goalie you're that's that's your personality i want to be in the net i want to be stopping the pucks so yeah um, well, it's just, a, but it is rare at that level because sometimes guys do like, you can, I, I was trying to think about guys that I would actually classify as like a stay at home 
defensemen that were just always that. You know I mean something like generally like there's junior guys, right? You'll put up points, then you have to become something else, right? Like you can't necessarily play that style of game at the pro level. So then they become more one thing, you know? But I mean, you've always been that thing, it seems like, even like a junior, right? You were just always that. that, that the, the thing about it when we played the pods in junior was that you had a way of, of uh, getting noticed and it was the it was the Don Cherry way. Like my first year pro and, and people that know Don Cherry and follow him, whether you like him or not, his whole thing was a training camp. You fight the first day, you fight in the middle of camp and you fight the last day. Honestly, the year I made Florida, I fought Cabana, the opening day of training camp. I fought Toporowski, the first day we started playing uh, exhibition and the last day, not by choice. I fought Kelly chase and Mark Jansen's from Hartford and, and, and Dwayne Sutter years later came up and talked to me and he goes, you know, we were going to send you back to junior until you fought that last game. So, wow. but and it's not about the fighting and stuff, but it was as a defensive defenseman. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you get noticed in today's game? Right, like that. It's like you said. If you're not rushing the puck and you're not fleet-footed, you got a way harder time uh, of establishing and even hitting. Like I used to hit guys pretty decent. Like you played rough and tumble. Well, nowadays in kids and youth hockey, for better or worse, probably for better, that's not as allowed. And if you're running around hitting guys the way I used to hit guys, you're going to be in the penalty box all the time, and your coach is going to bench you. So. So I think it's a lot tougher nowadays for for a stay at home type of defenseman to to get noticed. I've asked even Brian Burke uh, about that, and he goes, "Yeah, it's you got to do it over years because you can't just go out and uh, and grab a guy and get in a fight. Uh, it's it's so rare. you can, but it's just so rare. It's hard right. to it's hard to do." I agree. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. Even thinking of that, I mean, from a scouting perspective, because those, I mean, those players are still massively valuable. I mean, like you need yep. them, um, but yeah, it might be harder to identify them. So, like watching, watching for them, and there's probably fewer of them too, wouldn't you think? Because it's just I, not glamorous. The push would definitely be that to push them out, not pushing them out on purpose, but yeah, it's not glamorous. And if you're a scout and you only get to see the team once, are you going to notice that? You, no, you're going to notice the kid that grabs a puck behind the net, rushes it up, and tries to make some offensive, offensive plays and have some flair. So, I, I think the guys that play defensive, they got to get watched more to to stand out for to get really noticed. With that whole fighting thing, and it's interesting because we had. Uh... Tyson Nash just comes to mind right now. Well, Dave Scatcher too, which actually uh, in the lead up to this, I saw you fight him. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, well, just because it's t top of mind right now. Like you, you, and this is just to me, like you always seemed uh, pretty even keel. Like your heart rate, you didn't have much of a heart rate. Let's say that. I mean, that's the way I, I, I saw you. I mean, you're pretty stay at home. You kept control of your emotions. In that fight, you looked like mad. Like you looked like you weren't happy. <laughs> Like was it there was something that went on there. It's crazy that you picked up on it. Cause I was going to say that about that fight. That's one of the few fights where I was, and it was nothing that sketch did. I had gotten, and I don't know what Lindy Ruff was upset with me or somebody did something to me in between periods. 
And I remember throwing a, you know, that Pedialyte stuff, the electrolytes and stuff. I smashed a few bottles of that. And I was in the back room, the equipment room, smashing stuff. And our trainer was mad at me because there was juice everywhere and coffee spilled. And I was snapping. And so that is, it truly was one of the rare fights where I was, and it was nothing to do with Scatchard. I went on, it was early in the period, I think. And I was like, who can I fight? Because I'm going to get somebody. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, that's funny that you picked up on oh, that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because even in that in the clip that I saw, it went to Lindy on the bench. And he had this, like, smirk. Like, almost like, you know, I mean, either he really appreciated what you were doing or, like, he had something to do with it or, you know, like yeah. one of those. Like, it like might. No, he probably knew that he poked, the, poked me a little bit and got me wound <laughs> up. So, yeah. Because that was always a part of your game, and I don't mean, and it's becoming less obviously part of the game now. And I know that's been talked about over and over again. We don't need to go there, but like, how did you? Was was that more of a tactical thing for you? Uh, like, can you describe like when you did fight and why? Truly, I hated it, and I was. Uh, I'm old enough now to admit I was scared and worried about it. I spent too much time thinking about it. I probably overthought it. I did it, but it was always reactionary, right? Like very rarely. There, were, there would be a few circumstances where I went out and picked the fight, but it typically was a reactionary, all right, if you're going to mess around, let, let's go. Like even the one I brought up with Hartford, my last, before we made uh, Florida, uh, the reason I fought Mark Jansen is because he's punching Radic Dvorak in the head. There's nothing, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a, I'm going to go out and set the tone for this. So I was usually a reaction fight fighter where something happened and but i i didn't like i liked it afterwards if what I about kelly to, chase so you fight you fight jansen what happens in the next one so chaser it was funny because it was the year after the uh the the lockout shortened season and during the lockout chaser was a ex saskatoon blade and so while those guys were locked out him and curtis lecition and wendell clark uh, a couple other guys were back skating with the blades when i was there and so we got to know those guys and we spent time he was trying to teach us some stuff fighting after practice and this and that and i ran him at the blue line and he's like don't you take advantage of our friendship and i'm like chaser i'm trying to make the nhl what do you want me to do like let's go then because i gotta and trust me it was not much of a fight there was a lot of hugging and kissing like, <laughs> it wasn't to stand back and toss him so right. but apparently that's, good enough you know what and that could I, that's almost probably verbatim of what chaser said i played with him a little bit in toronto i don't pretend to know him well but that seems like a total chaser line like you don't take advantage of oh, yeah for here. sure for sure <laughs> He was actually part of that uh, Tyson Nash story when Nash was trying to make uh, St. Louis when he went there, and he had, yeah. he just got out of the Canucks. And his first shift at that camp was, um, I guess, he ran Demetra, had to fight afterwards. His coach wouldn't let him off the ice. Had to stay out there for the next shift. Got in another fight. <laughs> was finally allowed to come off. I've heard Horrible. about that shift that, and, and him going there. So there were some personalities in St. Louis around then. Yeah, that's nuts. So when you like, what was the mindset of that? You mentioned like the way to get noticed and then Don Cherry's way. Was that was that something you had actually like decided upon at nineteen <laughs> going in there? This is how I'm going to do this. That nineteen year old year, the ones that that I gave in as an example, like that first fight, I fought the first day because I had a terrible exhibition game. I remember you used to go to camp and it was exhibition game right off the hop. There was no practices or skates, and I hadn't done anything really to get noticed. And I'm like. I better do something. It was like my second last shift. And I'm like, I knew Cabana from junior. And I'm like, dude, I need to, let's get noticed. At least. Let's go. So it was more, that one for sure was, yeah. uh, 
Toporowski ran me and it, it at, in the in the next fight in that situation i was like yeah let's go so and then the other two were yeah like i said the guy was punching dvorak in the head in front of the net i'm like well i better get in there and chaser was chaser so right well i i didn't and i never even put two and two together with the don cherry thing till after i retired right like i didn't right. think about it i wasn't i'm like that's what grapes used to say like fight three times that's right yeah. that's what yeah. happened so it worked for me that's wild. It's so wild, though. Like those little micro decisions, right? That maybe weren't decisions. Like you know, opportunity knocks, and it was the right opportunity, yeah. right thing to do at the right time, and and got you in the door. And 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 that's the thing is like for a lot of these guys is like getting in the door, right? And then figuring out how to stay there once you're in, right? There's a lot of things that you control, but there's so much that you don't. Like for example, myself, I was drafted 27th in the second round, obviously to Florida, and. I had been rated higher the previous year, but I was from a small town. And when I went home for lunch from school, mom had mashed potatoes and gravy and the full fixings on, right? Like that's how we grew up. We ate food. And all of a sudden I'm getting beefy and fat. And I, it's the truth. And, and, it, it, and my, my rankings dropped and I went in the second round. Well, at the draft, it was the worst thing in the world. You were so disappointed. But you look back on it. If I go in the first round, I'm going to Detroit or Boston or the Rangers. Well, the Rangers, were they just won the cup. Boston was, had Bork and all these guys. Uh, Detroit was just on the cusp of becoming the best of the best forever. And I wouldn't – maybe not never – but my chances of making those three teams as opposed to the Florida Panthers, who were an expansion team looking to get young, wanted to add youth, it's, it would have been a whole different world trying to make those teams. So sometimes there's, there's a little bit of, of luck and fortune involved in it too. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I, I never realized, obviously, I mean, we're so, I don't know, I guess caught up in our own scenario right on like the draft day scenario and i've told that story on this podcast before and you probably don't even know it but like um cliff fletcher told me the day you know you have those draft meetings cliff fletcher told me in his hotel room it was just me and cliff fletcher that he was going to draft me as uh, toronto maple leaf next day with their first pick he told me they were going to trade up for me and and that was going to be what was happening. I mean, you know, from those draft day meetings, no one tells you shit like that, right? I mean, like he legitimately looked me in the eyes and told me, yeah. shook my hand, said, you're going to be a Maple Leaf tomorrow. So, Pretty good. you know, I, I thought I was going to be a first rounder. You know, t they traded up to 10 at the time. I thought I was going to be 10th overall, like losing my mind right after a subpar year. I didn't think I had a great draft year, but it was like a sweet. Anyways, doesn't happen. They take Fisho. I won't get into the story of that. But then I sat, right, from 15 when I thought I was going to go yeah. to 31. I mean, that felt like 15 years, not 15 picks. Uh -huh. And um, and so I had that own internal thing of like, oh, so now I'm like, like you said, I mean, third pick to Florida as opposed to first pick to Toronto. That's a big difference. It's a big um, difference. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know what I mean? And 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 so you yourself, like, what was that draft day like? You mean, did, did, describe the kind of the emotions or what you were doing there sitting in the chair. Yeah. Hartford's awful. It was boring. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know that. Uh, but... My agent said to me after halfway through, I think there were a lot of Europeans being drafted that year. And nowadays that's not a, a unique thing, but it was just the start of that trend where, the, the like, honestly, and it, it sounds terrible, but when we just were getting drafted, 
if you drafted a European, you were taking a bit of a risk, right? It wasn't as normal, uh, and it was almost like, geez, do we draft a guy from Europe? I don't know if we should. Anyway, there was a lot of uh, European guys drafted, and he goes, if they keep drafting European guys, who knows, You might we might be back here tomorrow before you're drafted. And so you're sitting there, the end of the first round goes by, and you're like, oh, great. Flew to f- Why am I here? Why, like, I flew to bloody Hartford for this? Great. And then, <laughs> honestly, when my name got called, I'm like, was that me? Did I, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was an emotional roller coaster, I'll tell you that, because you're, you're pumped up, you're nervous, you're excited, you've done all, you're, and you're, you're fatigued a little bit, you're getting interviewed by all these guys, you're trying to say the right thing, and, and then you sit there. And everyone's, you don't dream about getting, well, you dream about getting drafted, but when you're that close, you're dreaming about, I want to go first round, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Did you have any, um, I don't know, was there any story, any, any draft day stories as far as like from the interviews that stuck out? Any, any, uh, any interviews that, that stood above the rest for good or bad? No, no, there was nothing that nothing really unique. Uh, I remember John Muckler asking if I like to block shots. I said, "Well, not if my goalie's good." So I, <laughs> did that get a laugh out of him? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it was kind of an eyebrow raise. Like, is this guy smart talking me, or is this what is this? So, no, <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like, you never know what you're going to get. And like, I don't know. One of the things I talk about with the athletes I work with now is like really trying to find out who you are like as a, as a person and this yeah. to own it, you know, like obviously we can become more professional and there's things that we can do. But like, if you're sitting in those interviews and trying to think of what you're supposed to say, to I mean, yeah, there's inauthentic, inauthenticity with that. Right. And like, oh, and yeah. that's not good. Right. So you, that is you, right. You're kind of a little bit of a smart ass. You're <laughs> kind of witty. Right. Like, so you said that and you never know how it's going to roll, no. but at least it was honest. Right. I think, I think being genuine is probably better to begin with. Uh, you know what? And I think about the drafts and it's weird because you remember Paul Henry. Mm-hmm. He called me the other day because Marty Baron mentioned my name on her Florida broadcast and blah, blah, blah. Well, Paul Henry, uh, sports psychologist kind of guy, he – so I was doing interviews, and I did an interview with the Rangers and after a game in, in Saskatoon. And we had a team get-together that we were supposed to go to. And so I'm sitting at this, uh, this interview in this restaurant, and it's myself and Belak, and I forget if it was Chad Allen or Mark Dale. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm like, I said to the the, the scout, I'm like, hey, can we cut this short? <laughs> we got to get to a party. So I don't think being genuine in that sense was probably <laughs> the right choice. But and so, and then another interview, and I think it was for the Calgary Flames at the time. Yeah. When, and when I was leaving there, the guy's like, you know, you come across real arrogant. I'm like, because I don't. Cause I mean, we, when you're an athlete, you, you probably are arrogant just just because you have to have a little bit of arrogance and confidence. Mm-hmm. So I was, I stewed on that a lot. And then anyway, to finish up the story, Florida flew me to Toronto, and I went through the you know when they hold up the sheets and what do you see and yeah. and it was with Paul Henry was doing the the interview, and at the interview interview I said, listen. One of the scouts from another team said that he, I came across as arrogant and, uh, and, well, arrogant. And I said, have I come across that way? Because I don't want I don't want to portray that. Like, that's not – and he's like, no, I can see where that where that would be. But And he talked to, to me about it. And, uh, and, uh, and I think 
I truly think that me bringing that up and being genuine helped the Florida Panthers go, huh, this guy, he's going to be who he is. And, yeah. and I think it did help me get drafted by the Florida Panthers. Well, there's a level of maturity there. I mean, and we got to remember we're 18 year old kids, right? I mean, yeah. we can say kids now at the time. We don't think we're kids at the time. We think you got it all figured out. But I mean, there's not a lot of people that would reflect on that and then be curious enough to ask that question. You know, so I think those those do say say a lot about your personality. I remember those tests too with them, um, all those ink blot tests, yeah. and they were one of the only ones that did that. Do you think there's a difference? I mean, a word that gets thrown around a bit now is is swagger, and uh, and I think that there's, you I mean, there's confidence, there's swagger, there's arrogance, right? And 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 depending on the eye. The beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? Like what you see is maybe different, and and, this, and the same guys walking around, you might see something, I might see something different. Do you think? Do you think swagger is different than arrogance, or do you think they're the same thing? No, they're they're different, and I mean, you'd have had the complaint from people, and I've had the complaint from people like, oh, athletes, they're all cocky and arrogant, and and. and, and Again, one of the things that I figured at the end of my career, after I'd retired, was, uh, and, and I'll use the word selfish as opposed to arrogant. Well, if you're not selfish, you're not doing yourself any favors. And, and it's weird to say that, but, but if you're playing at the best level in the world and you're in the NHL and you're supposed to be out there for 20 minutes a night, giving it your all, you, sh you, you have to take care of yourself first. Because if you're not, you're not doing your, you're not giving yourself the best chance for success. You're not helping your team, uh, giving them the best chance for success. So, so that uh, you are self-centered and you are arrogant, but you almost need it. Now, swagger and arrogance, and that's the thing you can get confused on the language because it's very similar. Right. But if you don't have any of that. How many guys did you play with that didn't have a little bit of swagger and were successful? I mean, you got to have confidence and arrogance and and swagger, or yeah. you or, or or you're not going to push yourself to do it. I don't think. Yeah, I think there's a that's super interesting to me because there's that there's the line and which which I think personally I had a hard time finding the line like in junior I had that. You mean like, and I think it comes from actually just believing in what you can do, right? In yourself and you've, you've done these things. So like, there's this inherent type of emotion that comes with that is like, yeah, I got this under control, you know, like I, I get it. I, I know, I know how I'm going to respond. I know how to operate. I know what skill set I bring. And with that, you just carry yourself in a certain way. Um, hopefully it was more swagger than arrogance. Like, like you said, yeah. sometimes maybe people probably perceive it as being different, but I never found that level of confidence at the NHL level, right? It wasn't there long enough to find it. Did you have any issues with that? Like yourself, like trying to find out who Rhett Warner was at that level? Again, it's weird because I was in Hartford and Kelly Chase and I, I had, I, I played a lot of games early at the start of my career in my first year. And then I sat for quite a while and uh, I'd never thought about confidence before, but I can remember going into that game in Hartford and I was so scared, worried, unconfident, whatever you want to call it, that I, I could hardly play. And even Chase came up to me at a face-off and he goes, what is your deal? Get into it. Like, that's how bad. And I'm like, I don't know. Chase. And so 
I did have doubts. There are days where you're like, oh, my, can I do this? Am I in the right spot? Am I setting myself up for failure? You know, even, and the other thing was you're a kid. You're a kid running around the North America, and and it's overwhelming at times. And you don't know. You again, you think you know everything because you're you're a kid. But when you sit and reflect on it, I think deep down it was like, geez, am I am I supposed to be where I'm at? All right, take a short break from the conversation here with Rhett, just to remind everybody. Um, about what is available for you as a player today or as a coach with your team. You know, everyone's in different, in a different stage uh, of this COVID, uh, you know, this COVID event. I don't know how else to put it. You know, it depends on where you live, depends on how much you can play or can't play or whether you're in isolation or whether you're allowed to play games or whether you're allowed to travel. But Everyone has been touched by this and everyone is in a different state of it. And if you are in a spot where you aren't playing right now or if you aren't able to do the things you want to do and you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling, I'm not going to put any emotions in your heart and in your head for you. But one thing I do know is that right now is an awesome opportunity to work on the things that I am so passionate about, like character, like your mindset, like your perseverance and your resilience and your attitude and your perspective these are all skills gentlemen and coaches listening and parents listening and these are things that can be worked on outside of the game so when the game does turn back on you're ready for it uh i i'm so so adamant about this that this is like the biggest secret in hockey right now in sports is that we're so skill-driven that we're forgetting about these other pieces of the puzzle that make it a complete person. And uh, and when you're down and when you're out and when things aren't going your way, that's when you can revert to some of this, some of these thoughts, right? Some of these tools um, that my courses are giving players that I'm giving teams, whether that be on Zoom or whether that be through the online portal or whether that be my parent group. Use the resources around and take advantage of this time. Because you can double down on character at any point. You can double down on your mindset, your preparation, your perseverance, your resiliency. You can, you can get better at all these things. And when you do have the intention and the, the foresight to take your career and your development into your hands, whether this is a coach that's listening, whether this is a parent, or whether this is a player, you are one step ahead of the game. Now is an absolute perfect time. And I know I'm preaching to the choir for some of you right now because my phone has been ringing and I've been doing more and more and more um, online events and and, uh, and hosting more coaching sessions. And I should be because that's what's going on right now. This is the perfect time to put these tools in your toolkit. So when the games do turn back on, you're ready to go. And also so you keep your development on the rails. You keep your team focused on what's important and what they can control right now, which is their perspective, which is their attitude, which is their ability to use their time productively. Um, These are all things that are helping people right now, and I would love to help more people. So www.myhockey.com is where you get a hold of me. I can help teams or individuals um, and love doing it. So 
uh, that's my piece on what I think is important right now. A lot of times coaches have the other perspective and I plead with you not to do that or parents too. Oh, well, we'll do it once we get back on the ice or we'll do it once we get back to playing games. It's completely backwards thinking. Right now is the time if you aren't playing, if you aren't practicing. Now is the perfect time to have the team or your player galvanize around things that they can control and that they can get better at that's going to empower them now and into the future. So I'm going to get off my soapbox. We're going to get back to Rhett Warner. Uh, just something that I'm passionate about. I know that these athletes need it. Everyone needs it, whether it's a junior youth athlete or whether it's at the pro level. Um, it can't be reinforced enough. And anytime you pick up something new, you're going to leave the party uh, a better player and a better person. So let's rock and roll. Back with Rhett Warner. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening. Was anyone so, talking to you then? No. It was the old school. Yeah, it was old school, old right? School, like, yeah. If you reached out, for help you could probably get it but it was so it was so it was so rare that yeah. there, there wasn't a lot they, i think the expectation was figured out you what are you whining about you've yeah. got the world by the tail get, give her right yeah. like and when we say help like i mean i don't know maybe you do mean help like in the professional mental sense of like mental support i mean that's such a big topic in a lot of circles right now but i I don't, I don't think you're meaning to help. Like, I just mean like communication even, right? Like you're sitting, this is what, this is the plan we have for you. This is what we want you to work on. Yeah, like, no, no. You, like not even close, right? Like there no. wasn't even that. I you're never just, had, yeah. <laughs> there, there was none of it. And again, you can laugh about it now. And you think back, geez, if someone had talked to me just about this stuff and just been honest, you'd have felt way better about everything. But yeah. I mean, I can remember landing in, uh, landing in, in, Boston it was and getting off the we're going to the in between games we played in New York and then we flew to Boston and I didn't play and I'm getting off the bus and Brian Murray's like hey you're leaving for uh PEI tomorrow uh, to world juniors oh <laughs> like if that was part of the plan I would have pla- packed a I would have brought a coat <laughs> right like so 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 there wasn't a ton and they didn't feel like they needed to i and i but i think it's changed i think there's better communication nowadays right my gosh I, like that any, every time i talk it's just like you know i mean you, you you know your own experience and your own environment what happened but i mean it is it was a collaborative thing amongst players right like that was just the way that it was that was the way the culture was run and uh and now that i'm older and you already mentioned that and i've been in business before and trying to build teams and help people out like it's such a counterintuitive to what they're trying to accomplish right like you were an asset i was an asset whether you're a prospect or not right you want to get the best out of your players and having them in the dark and feeling isolated and and without any idea what's going on isn't getting that out of them so they're when we talk about mental toughness warns you like shit like that was to me like that was what and you needed getting back to this arrogance versus swagger versus confidence like if you didn't have a level of that like because you needed it to get through this bs that we're talking about right like you'd be a shell if you didn't have it absolutely and and it did crush lots of guys like i think lots of guys lost their way uh maybe because they lacked in that department and they, they couldn't get through it and they started to question everything and they, and, and, and it also can lead to, and I bring it up maybe because I watched the, the Probert documentary the other day, it leads to some of those choices too, right? Where I'll find my confidence in a bottle of whiskey yep. or a substance, right? Like, uh, you think back and there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong and, and, but there's a lot of things that did go wrong for guys. And, and, and you can't, 
I don't blame it. It's the way it was, but it was part of it. The culture created a lot of it, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's just the truth. It's, yeah. it's, it's the way it was. And I'm not, I, I, I love the experiences that I had and the life I've lived, but there are a lot of guys that fell by the wayside just because of the way the culture was. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and it started young, right? Even at the junior level, you know I mean like the, you needed to be tough physically for sure. And then they made sure that you could handle it mentally just by, you know, the stuff that they would put you through. And then I think that did breed a sense of like, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I used the word gladiator before. I mean, we were playing a tough sport. Let's be honest. It's a hard sport. It's a tough sport. And, and any, any type of, any type of let I me, mean, I hate using the word weakness, but like, you know, like you didn't want to show anything and, and, and no one was going to talk to you about it. Nor were you going to talk to somebody about it. Again, I've got a, an example. It was the training. It was this, it's the same training camp. I keep going back to the year I made Florida. And I said, I got in those fights in the last day of game. I got in two fights and Dwayne Sutter said, if you hadn't done that, well, what else Dwayne Sutter said was that two games before we had played Tampa Bay and Chris Gratton had beaked me. And I didn't fight them. And because of that, they were going to send me back. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how right. you, the little things can. Uh, and again, it was the culture. It was yeah. the culture. And the other day, uh, Clark, you remember the name Clark Wilm? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Wilma and I. Blade team of years. Yeah. We were good friends. We played midget triple A and spent lots of time together. Still really good friends. And he was texting me on Friday night. And he was texting me. He he sent me uh, some clips of some junior hockey fights. He must have been having a few beer, uh, scrolling through YouTube. Anyway, I, I'm looking back at that stuff, and then you get on that YouTube train and watching. And I'm watching junior hockey fights from our era, and I'm going, I got a 12 year old, and I at that like, am I going to let my kid go do that? I don't know. And again, not a slight against junior hockey or college. I don't care what choice you make. But in that era, to allow your kid to move from Saskatoon to Kamloops or Portland or Spokane where and live that lifestyle, and, and you're either a scorer, but there's a lot of fighters, the rough and tumble. Like, that is hard on kids. That's mentally tough on kids and, and you can kind of come over or get through it and say that, no, that taught me mental toughness. I got to think there's a better way. Yeah. Right. I got to think that other than throwing guys to the wolves, there's probably a better way of doing this. Yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because I mean, that is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about what I'm doing now is like having the conversation about like the inside game, right? Like how, how to develop, character mental toughness the right mindset without having to you know do it on the run at 16 in, in an environment and obviously the the ecosystem has changed the environment's changed the culture has changed um but there's still i mean there's still things you have to navigate way younger than most people do and in a in a peer group too environment dealing with people that are older than you with dealing with coaches gms like all this like the whole the whole infrastructure is still pretty daunting regardless of uh whether you're you might have a line brawl or not yeah. as a as a 16 year old in the middle of uh in the middle of portland <laughs> on a saturday night but uh you know, we definitely, that's the thing you discounted. I mean, at the time you don't even know it because that's just what you're doing and you have this dream and you want to be a hockey player and that's what hockey players do. So you do it, but I'm with you. Like we look, uh, 
Chris Haley, um, no, Mike Haley. Gosh, I got his name wrong there. Uh, Hales through a hat. Somehow he's confiscated this video back in the day, like from from uh, the Spokane Tri-Cities game or Spokane Seattle game. And it was back in the Boone Street barn and it was just mayhem, yeah, right? Like good. absolute mayhem. Sawyer blew up this one guy's line brawl. There, this one guy ends up getting pulled into the penalty box. Yeah, he's got to look at like it's crazy, right? Pulls behind the bench, and we don't even see what's going on. I just remember during that game, I remember sparks flying because there was like three sets of skates. This oh, guy, yeah. and it was just like it was just normal, right? I there's no suspensions. Okay. Like it was just like, here we go, like back Settle at down, it, fellas. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and even like for me, right? I, mean, I had 15 fights as a 16 year old, I think 15 or 16, you know, in, in the WHL, and I was a goal scorer, like you know, like it was just. You had to get vetted that, you know? Yeah, you had to get through it somehow. So, again, I I, I look back on it now because you're older and you did it and you can think back fondly and you got memories and you had success. I, I, I feel like there's lots of guys that went by the wayside that don't look back on it so fondly and had a lot more issues with it. You know who I, w- I was going to ask you about, and I don't know if it just came to mind because I was looking uh, at the Hockey DB. Like that one team you guys had with uh, – in Saskatoon there. Like a lot of guys went on the NHL and a couple of really good players um, that didn't one being Mark Dial. He always had an eye injury and you, you, yeah. you mentioned him and, uh, and then the other was Frankie Bantam who had his cup of coffee and actually did pretty well there. But I mean, a 70 goal scorer there, not, I mean, you were gone by them, but I think he had 50 the year you were there with them. Mm-hmm. What do you remember of Frankie? Like, do you think like Anything you would say about why he maybe never had a longer career than he? Wow, Frankie, because Frankie would keep skipping curfew. That's why Frankie didn't have a longer career. I mean, plain and simple. I know that uh, Frankie got called up at the end of the year in Anaheim and scored like nine goals in twenty games. I think, which at that time in that era was huge, epic, right? Like this yeah. is no goals era. So, but I think that the the next year that he got uh, busted, missing curfew a couple times, and they they just kind of said, "You're not going to grow up, and you're not going to commit to this, and we're not going to bother with you." So he went over to Europe and had a pretty good career, I think. But yeah. Frankie was a uh, he was as skilled as the kids now. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he can do like back then. You, you didn't focus on skill and small area stuff like you do nowadays. But Frankie Frankie could have played in today's game just as easy, probably better than 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 back uh, in the era that he was playing. He was he was the most skilled junior guy I ever played with, for sure. I don't know if he was the most skilled junior guy in the league, but I'll bet you he was top five when I yeah. was there. Yeah. So. Well, that's a big numbers, man. You don't do that by accident. Yeah. You know, he was good. Um, let's talk about WJC because it just happened. Um, and I've had guys on before, um, with my guys like yourself, long NHL careers, uh, that if they don't win a Stanley Cup, they often look back. If they had the opportunity to win a gold for, for Canada, the World Junior, that's one of their career highlights still to this day. Is that, is that, is, do you echo that? Is that something that still sits pretty high in your, on your memory bank? Oh, for sure, because it's the only thing that I really won. I lost the Stanley Cup three times, which so everyone's like, oh, that's great. You got to go to the Cup three times. And it's like, no, that's a nightmare. You don't sleep at night when you lose three Stanley Cups. So <laughs> so the, the, the only thing about the World Junior for me that started out weird was, like I said, I got landed in Boston. I made the NHL. Uh, we landed in Boston, and, and Brian Murray says, hey, you're going to the World Juniors. And I'm like, oh, really? 
I mean, I want to be in the NHL, right? Because I was sure it was World Juniors and then another plane ride back to Saskatoon for junior. And then you got to go through the whole uh, training camp the next year to make the NHL again, right? So I'd not to slight the World Juniors, but I would pick playing in the NHL over uh, over playing World Juniors. Uh, luckily, I got to do both. So, yes, it is, it's, it's the pinnacle of my accomplishments. We were successful, uh, and we had a lot of fun. And I don't know if we were the most skilled squad that Canada has ever put together, but we did what we needed to do, and we won. Yeah, we did. We won. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, looking back, there wasn't anyone in the stands, right? There was, it was an empty building. Um, so there, was, I mean, there was that, that was the year that, uh, the Americans were going to finally be good. Right. And the first game was in Worcester and we spanked them that game. And then Noden showed up to watch the rest of the tournament. It was parents. That's it. Well, you scared the crap out of them. I think you, you were what you might've been the single reason why, uh, why they didn't do well. Do you remember, do you remember that when we were doing like whatever that warm up was that we had to do? And there was like this little curtain that was set up between and you were like, you stuck your head around that and like screamed at them all and told them you were going to eat them for <laughs> breakfast or something. And I think they were all... <laughs> see, you're recollecting things that I don't now. So though I, I don't remember that at all. I hope I did. Cause I wanted to beat the Americans bad. They're getting cocky. Do you remember? So Mike Watt and I were having a little text thing, and we had a little interview before the the gold medal game. Our our ex teammate there from World Junior for those listening, and uh, he was saying a story from from uh, from after the Ukrainian game, or maybe at the end of the tournament, that he remembered that you bought the goaltender equipment. Is is that even did that happen? Did you buy him something? I I think we tried to help him out. Yeah. And again, like, I'm not trying, I don't remember the specifics of it. I just remember that they needed some help and for the equipment and stuff. So I think we did contribute a little bit. Why <laughs> he was like, like, I don't remember like it, not like granular at all, but he was like, every time this goalie would stop a puck against us, he would ow. be like, yeah, he'd be like <laughs> saying, ow, because he had this old crappy equipment. Yeah. And yeah. And he said that, I mean, cause you were the only guy in our team at you know, that was on an NHL contract. And he, he remembered you taking us out for dinner the one night, which I didn't remember. And he also thought, thought that you, um, you were, you know, nice to the Ukrainian goaltender and got him some stuff. So that's, uh, if those both were true, I don't know if you remember taking us for dinner, like where would, where would that have come from for you? Like, is that just part of your DNA or, or, or what? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know what it is? Bonds is growing up in a small town. There were two, I think other, uh, boys in my class. So you didn't pick your friends. Whoever you were fortunate enough to be around, they were your friends. And I think that that small town upbringing had a lot to do with it. Right. Like, I think that that carried on throughout my life. I don't, I still to this day, I, I, I hope, and it, it sounds a little bit self righteous, but I don't judge people. I don't care. Like, you are who you are. And if you're a good person, we can get along. I, I really don't care what you do or who you are. As long as you're a good person, let's be friends. So I think that the, the small town upbringing was, again, a big part of that. And I, I think I carried it through. And I think it served well, actually. Like, I, I, I didn't have animosity. You remember, I think our year, a birth year, was the first year of the WHL Bantam Draft. And myself and Clark Wilm and Chad Allen were in first, second, and third rounds to Saskatoon. Well, a lot of guys 
would treat those two guys as I'll use adversaries or guys that you got to beat out. You don't, you know what I mean? Well, when they came to town, I'm like, Hey, you guys want to come over for supper and you want to come over for lunch? Like I, I didn't treat it like that where lots of guys would have, I got to make it before they do. Mm-hmm. So uh, to a fault, sometimes maybe too, too much team first. Cause there is <laughs> looking back again, there's lots of times where it's like, dude, if you'd have maybe thought about yourself, you'd have probably done better for everyone. But I did try to, I was always about team, and I, I, I think to this day I still am. Right. You mentioned earlier, and I want to go back, because you're talking about being selfish, and or you need to have some selfishness. You use the word selfish about, like, you mean, playing 20 minutes a night, and you have to have some arrogance. I mean, can we, can we I mean, that we can keep that word, but, I mean, to me that sounds more like being a professional, right? Like yeah. that you, you got to take care, you got to take care of your business, your body's your business, right? Like, is that a better way to frame it? Because it, it, if you it say is, selfish, you're not a good teammate. I think it I is for, what you're saying. yeah, no, it is for your, yeah, your assessment of yourself. Yes, absolutely. I, I meant from, from an outside perspective, people looking at you, they look at you and like, Oh, you're so selfish. Like you, you make your, I didn't have kids when I played, you make your wife and kid leave the house for your afternoon naps, or you, you, you don't spend this much time doing this. I meant from an outside perspective, people can think that you're, that you're selfish, Uh, but you're right. It's, it's, it's about being a professional doing everything you need to do to get ready to be successful on the ice. Yeah. And how do you balance that? with being a good teammate. Do you think that's, that's, that's hard or not? I think it's tougher nowadays because I don't think being, it's going to sound bad. I don't think being a good teammate is, is as revered as it used to be. I think that the expectation and the, it's almost allowed more where if you worry about yourself and you can do your own thing, that's fine. You don't have to worry about, uh, being a good team guy, show up and do your job. I hate that. I, it really bothers me because it doesn't mm-hmm. hold true in my belief system. So, but yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, it's more allowed nowadays. And, and again, I'll, I'll just, I don't like it, yeah. but it is out there. You said too much of a team guy. And I mean, I, I might be reading between the lines with this and maybe I'm not, but I heard one story of you before your uh, first NHL game where the boys in Florida and you mentioned all the names that I knew, like the older guys, you know, grabbed everyone and they were going out after the pregame skate or the morning practice and on the road and having some beers as, as we did back in the day. And it turned into seven or eight o'clock or whatever. And you were like, man, I, I got to, I missed my first NHL game tomorrow. Like I got to, I got to go home now. I'll let you t- I'll let you you know, finish that story off of how whether you did go home or what that was about or whether that, to you that meant being a team guy. But for me, like that was how I was wired too, and it wasn't necessarily the guy was the I wasn't a party animal. It but, but it was the fact if the guys were out, like I felt like I gotta needed be, to be there. You got to be like, part of it. Yeah, I got to be part of it. And well, I don't I think, know. I was kind of to a fault with that too, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Speak about that. Like, what what was your experience with that? Again, I, like I can remember being in the World Juniors and telling guys, "Hey, if, you, if next training camp, don't sit in your hotel room. Make sure you're you're out with the guys." And I don't mean out drunk, falling over, leading the party. I just mean if they're going for dinner, you go for dinner. Because when you're young, I remember you tended to be like, "I don't. I'm I'm going to sit in a hotel room and I'm going to focus on the 
the next day of training camps. Like that is very important, but it's also important to be part of that team atmosphere and to get to know those guys so that you're comfortable at the rink and they include you in things. So uh, I kind of, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, well, yeah, but you're just talking about being like being that I mean to a team guy to a fault. You know what I mean? That, that maybe that you were a little bit, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said like that sometimes that got, got you got in the way sometimes. Well, and it did because my philosophy was uh, let's be together as a team and let's do things together as a team and let's grow and make sure that we got friendships because I think that's very important in, uh, in having success as a team. And that's, there's a difference because you, you played with guys that had individual success. There's tons of guys that would score lots of points and then the team would fall flat and not make the playoffs and this and that. So, so it depends on what you want out of your career a little bit too, right? Yeah. Okay. You got, you scored 50. Well, your team lost 30, 40 games a year. Well, what's better, right? There's got to be a balance. And I wasn't good enough to make a difference uh, scoring a bunch of points and and winning hockey games that way. I was good. I was better at getting to know the guys, being a team guy. And then, and then when you're a good team guy, then you can stand up in the middle of the dressing room and tell the best players you're not doing enough. You're not you're not pulling on the rope the way you need to, right? Because if if you're just on the outsides and, and you don't have the backing of the room, in that you can't stand up and make demands of other guys. So I think that's and again, I don't know how much that happens anymore. Maybe it doesn't, or maybe it still does. But I think that if you're a good team guy, you can make demands of your teammates. Thank you for listening. I'm just going to take another quick break here from the podcast too. Thank you for those of you who have shared and reviewed and talked about this podcast with your inner circle. We started something last week called Five Star Questions. So that means five-star reviews or five-star questions. If you put a five-star review on iTunes where most of you listen um, with a question, I will get it answered. It can pertain to anything uh, or anyone. Or if you just want to leave a nice review about the podcast, that definitely is your way of giving back to the podcast and of what I'm trying to provide you, which is value. So I would appreciate that if you can do that. Uh, Last week, we had one from Pitt, number 25. says, great podcast with a good BC boy, five stars. That's all it takes, right? That one review um, that took, I'm not sure how long it took him. Um, I would assume not very long. Um, does a lot for the podcast. It means people are listening and it helps iTunes decide who they're going to put in front of other podcast listeners. So thank you, Pet 25 for listening. Um, thanks for calling out the province there. Proud to be from BC. And um, and yeah, going to keep doing the good work here for you guys. So get your questions in, five-star questions, five-star reviews, um, and get your name on the shout out here. Cheers. Now back to the interview with Rhett Warner. Would you classify yourself as a glue guy? I've heard like how you're describing that and obviously experienced it as a pro myself, you know, like the guys that somebody who brings somebody to everyone together, right? Maybe, maybe not the star, but somebody that, that does have a good idea of what the pulse is like in the team, you know, has a, has a good relationship with most guys and, and yeah, keeps guys accountable. Do you, do you find you're one of those pieces on most I teams? Think that, I think that probably my career was based on that. Really. It was kind of rough and tumble defensive defenseman, uh, who was a really good team guy, you know, because I'll use, uh, 
again, I hate to be sound arrogant and almost self, but Andre Waugh came to Calgary and he was, he was, it was training camp. It was early in the year. And I can still remember I was sitting in the dressing room like this guy is not, he's struggling. You could just see it in his eyes and he didn't know what was expected of him. And I'm, I can remember phoning him that night saying, Hey, how are you, man? Are you doing? And you know, at the end of the conversation, he's like, thank you. I've been, I've, I've, I've felt lost since I got here. I feel like I'm not part of the group. I'm not part of the team. I want to be part of the team. That's And anyway, the, the fact that he said, thanks, that that's what stood out to me. Cause I'm like, all right, well, I got, I got that one. Right. And I th- Anyway, so yeah, I I was a team guy, and if I wasn't a team guy, I wouldn't have played. Did you have that example? Like, because to me, that's leadership too. You know, you can call it glue, you can call it whatever, but I mean, there's an element of leadership there that when you know you're concerned enough about somebody that is going to be a part of your team and it's going to make your team better, you want him to be better, and you go out of your way to make some type of a you know a touch point there. Is is that something you? Yeah, did you have any mentors or role models when it came to that? Like from uh, from either your time in, in Saskatoon or even coming up there in Florida? All of them, yes. Yeah. Everywhere I played, there were guys like, like Mark Watton was our captain in Saskatoon when I first got there. He was a small-town guy and, again, a huge team guy. Uh, Brian Scrudland, I remember he's from, he's from Saskatoon. So when I got drafted by Florida, I don't know, maybe he phoned everyone. Did he phone you? No. Okay, so he phoned me. He's like, hey, Rhett, uh, Brian Scrooland, I'm in Saskatoon. I'm happy to blah, 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 just to just to shoot the shit, right? So guys like that. And, and that team that we played on and were part of in Florida, there were a lot of that, right? And the whole philosophy behind the, the success or the, the making of that Florida team was to be a team team. And Brian Scrooland led that, but you had Dave Lowry and Mike Huff and uh, – Tommy Fitzgerald and Billy, like there were tons of guys like that. So they influenced me a lot. So yeah, there were always guys that were kind of grooming you and and Mm -hmm. teaching you that there's there be a team guy. Think about the team sometimes instead of just yourself. Right. Um, What time did you leave uh, the night before your first game? Do you remember? Yeah. So, so we'd flown into Jersey. We're playing the Stanley cup champs the next day. And we, we were there a day early. So we practiced in the morning and then we went to that stupid, I was at bazookas or something. And we're sitting there for lunch. And then all of a sudden it's nine o'clock and I'm like, it's time to go. And I'll, half the team is still sitting there and they've been sitting there all day and you know what they've been doing. And I'm like, I gotta go home. We're playing an afternoon game against the Stanley cup chance. And it's my first NHL game. I I cannot stay here and drink all night. So I got out of there about nine o'clock and I had to go back to the room where terrible Terry Karkner was my roommate. Didn't know the guy and I was scared of him and I'd taken his spot in the lineup. So I'm just crapping myself. I better get in there quiet. And he's had to get up early for the morning skate because he wasn't playing. I was petrified. Absolutely petrified. <laughs> so was that game one of the season? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Putty. Putty dropped the puck. Uh, go Devils. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that unbelievable though? Like that, I mean, just even that whole thing wouldn't happen now. I mean, before game one of, of the NHL season and the whole team's out for five hours with an afternoon game the next day or who, longer. Yeah. Well, crazy, who knows right? how long they were out. Yeah. No, I yeah. wouldn't even, it wouldn't even, no, wouldn't cross guys' minds. 
which is good. I mean, there, there's certain yeah. things that there, you sound like the old guy when you reminisce about everything in the past. Yeah. Oh, it was the best. It's like, no, that's not the best. That was stupid. You right. should have been at home after you had your sandwich and, and getting ready to play. But you know what else is crazy? What's that? No TV. My dad did not see my first NHL game. Right. Because you couldn't, well, it wasn't on TV all over. It would have been a local sports station, maybe out of Jersey, that was carrying it. Yeah. Unless you had the pirate card, you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. Or the like the twenty foot satellite dish like my dad had in the backyard, <laughs> yeah, trying to get up every 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 seat, every yeah. game he could. Uh, that's wild. What well, did you ever feel like you were in Jovo's shadow? Like I know Jovo and you were different players in some aspects. I mean, he had he you know he was a bit more offensive, but he was rough and tumble and liked to hit too. And obviously, he was the first first pick of our draft. And then you're a defenseman who's the same age who goes a little bit later. Like, do you think that helped you or hurt you or indifferent? I'm indifferent, and I think it goes again back to uh, I was never jealous of Jovo, and I never felt like I needed to compete with him. Uh, it wasn't me or him. It was let's both do it. So, uh, no, I, I I didn't feel like I was in his shadow, and I I think I was smart enough to recognize he can do a lot of things I can't. And again, I, it's stupid because I keep going back to the same thing. Maybe it's because I only got a few memories. But that Hartford game where I fought Mark Jansen, Kelly Chase. Well, Jovo went around the net picking up the puck at our end, and Shanahan had him lined up, and Jovo saw him and absolutely crushed Shanahan. Like laid him out. Well, Brendan Shanahan is not going to take no guff from some rookie kid. So he gets up and he goes after Eddie, and they had one hell of a fight. They were chucking knuckles, and Eddie, I, Eddie was tough and big and farm boy strong, even though he wasn't a farm boy. And he smacked Shanahan around pretty good, and actually broke his hand, and that didn't hurt my chances to make the team either, right? Like that's right. that's the reason I played in the first game because Jovakov had a broken hand. Right. Yeah, wow. Hey. That is wild. I mean, I remember talking to Redzi too. I mean, Redzi was a really high pick yep. and you know, and obviously had a great career. But even him, he says his first year, I mean, to go to a team that wasn't any good where he knew as a young guy that if he was to make a mistake, like he was told he was going to be back on the ice, you know, like there, it just took a level of that anxiety away from him, you know, like to be able to play in that scenario. And uh, obviously, I mean, that's not, that's not a, a true connection to what you're talking about, but I mean, there's different things that happen to different guys at different times that allow them to either get the chance or to stay in the lineup or whatever the <laughs> hell that may be. Right. Little, little things. And a lot of times out of your control things. Yeah. Right. right. Like, you can do all the right things, and if if you can't get your foot in that crack of that door and push it open, then it's going to be tough. And and again, it's not always of your own doing. You like to always think that it's you can control a lot and you can put yourself in the position, but you still have to get the opportunity. And you, it's it's not always up to you when that opportunity comes. Yeah, you know who uh, just reached out to me the other day was Scott Tinkler. Um, was he was was he with Tink, you for absolutely? Was he there for like the whole time you were there? Yeah, I guess yeah, he was, was, eh? yeah, yeah, he was there the whole time, and then uh, I think he packed it in and started some other business a couple gotcha. of years after I left. So yeah, one thing I remember about you, Warnsy, and I don't know, I mean, you can speak to this, but you you seem to me because obviously we're the same age. Um, you had a year under your belt when I showed up, so you you'd already played a full year. Um, you always seemed like an old, a little bit of an old soul. Like, you know, like I, I, maturity might be 
might be a better word to use. I, I don't know if it is, That's but like a kinder you, word. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of just seemed like you were like you did belong there and you were part of this, like you were part of that group. Like I remember it was me, Nemo, and like kind of this like that that other group of like young guys would kind of hang out and like in a, and you were sort of with the you know the older guys and I don't know if it's because you didn't like us or because you were more entrenched and I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek but like or you're more entrenched in the actual team itself but like did you feel yourself resonating more with you know those older guys those older I, players yeah I was comfortable around them I've I certainly was in it I don't know why. I mean, if you're talking specifically about that year, that this kind of that my second year, well, we'd gone to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? Like you're going to bond with guys pretty good. Then you got that that common whatever you, we had success and we overcame yeah. adversity. So yeah, you, you kind of had that building block. So uh, I don't know. I I just tried to be around it, and, and I think they I tried to be around it and keep my mouth shut. And I think the guy, the older guys appreciated that for the most part. Right. Instead of walking in, it's like you said, there's arrogance, there's swagger. Uh, but if you're, if, you're, if you're the big mouth in the room and you're the rookie, then that's probably not a good thing. Did you, did you ask questions? You, you mentioned being quiet. I do think that's a good thing. I mean, taking it all in, being an observer. But were you, did you, would you ask questions to a Paul Laus or to a Terry Karkner or to whoever, like, and try and get the understanding, like the nuances of the game or anything else for that matter? I, I typically did, but it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was around the rink. It was more in a intimate setting. You know what I mean? Where cause, uh, one thing I do enjoy, and I don't know that I recognized it when I was younger, but I like these conversations where it's a real conversation as opposed to, Hey, how's it going in a box? Like, I don't, yeah. that's, that's whatever. I actually enjoy a conversation where you can share and exchange with people. So I think that I did do that. Uh, and again, I think it was more away from the rink. And I, Again, not to sound like, oh, I was so smart and so good, but I had a maturity level where I would I was smart enough to know I needed to learn and I needed to learn from guys that knew. And I was I think they appreciated like uh, as an opposite of an example is a guy like Dion Phaneuf, who I played with in, in Calgary. He didn't want me to give him insight. He didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't appreciate if I critiqued his stuff and I don't care. He was a great player, but I was the opposite. I was like, Hey, Karks, like in this situation, can I, what's right. right? And it wasn't just on the ice, right? There's a lot of the off the ice stuff. Like, what do you do? Like, so I think you can learn a lot from guys if you're open and listen. No, that is. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because like Dion would be a guy, and the guy I don't know him very well. I spent one night with him when he was with the Flames. Like we were hanging out at Cowboys there, I think, when Eric Goddard was part of that team and stuff. Oh, yeah. And so I got to know him a little bit that night. Um, but I think he would be more on the pendulum side of the arrogant side, you know, yeah. from a personality side. Um, and I think it's tough when you get farther when that when that pendulum swings to still be humble enough to ask the questions, right, and to think that you don't know it. So I think that there is a delicate balance there because. Yeah, the humility aspect of like being able to ask the questions, um, I think it's massively valuable if you can find a guy to ask, you know, and you're brave enough to ask it. I think that word you said there too, humility, like that's something that doesn't come up a lot again because we talk about being swagger and arrogance or self confidence, whatever. So humility doesn't always fall into the equation, but I think if there is some humility, people appreciate that and. Uh, and again, you can learn because nobody knows everything. I mean, yeah. I, I pretend I do when I'm around my kids, but they'll figure out soon enough that dad doesn't. 
<laughs> and some of the best and some of the best people of our sport and and we were privileged enough to be a part of that same uh, peer group but like Shane Doan comes to mind Jerome McGinley comes to mind who you were teammates with like stars but like what was so endearing about them as teammates and as players and to the fans was that they were like there was a humility to them right yeah. like they, they weren't bigger than the game they were they were part of the game yeah I, we said we used the word earlier genuine be genuine be yeah care about other people be genuine and uh, and and don't get too far ahead of yourself did you as, as i'm just thinking mindset in the back of my head while you're saying that for some reason did you did you have a pre preparation routine like a pre-game routine that you would go through um you know mental or otherwise uh, other than just like the routine of going to sleep and having your pasta meal and showing up at the rink at a certain time <laughs> too many carbs <laughs> uh mine typically was something i'd do the night before where I'm lying in bed and I can't sleep anyway. And it was just, uh, I do a lot of visualization, but uh, it wasn't trained visualization. Like I can remember going from Saskatoon to Swift Current. And what did I buy? Uh, oh, who's that big guy? He's like six, seven, Tony Robbins. Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, 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 yeah. I bought one of his books. So I, and again, it was very early on. I was young, 16-year-old buying a Tony Robbins book. What's that all about? Yeah. But I read it, and you pick up a little bit here. You pick up a little bit there. So I don't know. I wouldn't even know if I was doing it correctly or if I did do it correctly, but it was something that I would, yeah, typically the night before, I'd lie in bed and try and visualize a few of the things and pointers that came through that book. In Saskatoon, we had a guy that came in and talked to the team, was around to to in that mental aspect of stuff so you pick up a few pointers there so i didn't have my pregame at the rink was very much let's get it on like i i didn't want to sit once i was at the rink i didn't want to sit around and think about it it was uh, i was i was too full of emotion i just i wanted to get started and let's go yeah were you what were you like in the room were you were you guys sat in your stall kept quiet were you guy walked around stretched what was your what was your go-to <laughs> It changed, right? I mean, it, it changed. Rookie year, you try to stay out of the way. Uh, uh, in Buffalo, uh, you start to feel like, all right, I, I'm established now. I can say more stuff. I became more of a leader on the team. Uh, and so I felt it important to say things. I didn't like to be a big mouth talk all the time, but I, I talked a fair bit. And I, I like to think I said things that needed to be said when, when they needed to be said. I, I didn't pull punches yeah. i guess is the term that right. people always use but i wasn't afraid to let guys know that hey this you're not enough or yeah. we need to we need to think about some different stuff we got to try this so you go to buffalo at 22 so uh i won't tell my story again i got traded at 20 at the trade deadline you know well i just turned 21 mm -hmm. uh that was like holy shit what just happened um wasn't expecting, didn't even know the trade deadline was going on. I mean, that was a completely crazy part in my life. How about a 22? So you've been in the league now three and a half years. Is this something you saw coming? How, how did you deal with it? What was that all about? I did not see it coming at all. I knew the trade deadline was that day, but it, they had traded Jovanovski earlier in the year, right, for Bure. And I'm like, well, I didn't think I'd get traded anyway because I was a young guy and we were supposed to be kind of the future. I wasn't having a very good year. But no, I, I had zero expectation of getting traded. And honestly, I went home and it, I saw it was the old school 
answering machines. Like it was a physical thing. And I saw phone numbers and messages. Well, there was no messages, but I saw a bunch of phone numbers had come through from the rink. And honestly, I thought it was Scott Tankler messing with me. And, but, and I was going to go golfing. And I'm like, well, I'll wait 10 minutes and see, because it was like 2.30 and the trade deadline was done at 3 and blah, blah, blah. And sh sure enough, phone rang and, hey, you're off to Buffalo. I'm like, oh, great, Buffalo. <laughs> you remember what so, that conversation was like? Short and sweet. Hey, Rhett, we've traded you to Buffalo. Lindy Ruff will be calling you here. Thanks for your time. That's it was very much that. I mean, I wasn't surprised to go to Buffalo because Lindy had been the assistant coach in, in Florida and Lindy liked me. And actually I was like, man, if I ever get traded, I'm going to have to go to Buffalo. And sure enough, it happens. So, <laughs> so, but I fit in in Buffalo. I fit in a lot better in Buffalo than I did in South beach, Florida. So <laughs> small town. Uh, right. You just mean from a personality style to the city, right? Is what yeah. you mean? Yeah. 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 That, uh, what a departure though, right? Like Miami, South beach to, to Buffalo. I mean, you kind of joked about it, but that's those, those are polar opposites. It was, uh, and it's so the first time you get traded is you, you're rattled. You have no idea what you're going to do. And you know, I'm, the phone call was at three and I was on a plane at seven out of there. So you grab a hockey bag and you leave and, and it's what you do and you're a kid and you just kind of move on. I didn't have any, any family to worry about. So that was looking back that's, that makes it a lot easier, but you're rattled. You feel like you, you can't decide if you've uh, let people down or if, if someone's turned on you because I, like I said, I was a team guy and I believed in being, I was a Florida Panther. And all of a sudden, Without any of your own say, you're you're no longer a Florida Panther, and you got to yeah. bite in or buy into another system and another team, and and become a Saber. So, uh, well, and that fast though too, right? I mean, that's funny because it was exactly the same for me. I got woken up from a pregame nap, and I was on a flight like from Greensboro. So in the minors, I was on a flight three three and a half hours later to Toronto, played yeah. against Flyers the next day. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and I thought I was going to be a Florida Panther for my entire career, right? It's just like. Holy smokes. Um, that, that, uh, and the phone call too, like it was a minute and a half, probably like Brian. Oh Martin yeah. They didn't want to talk maybe. to you. No, no, they didn't talk to you. You're just out of there. Did they, um, showing up in that dressing room? How, I mean, you'd played against those guys. So, I mean, you had that at least advantage. They knew who you were. I walking into Toronto, no one even knew who I was. That was a little bit weird. Um, how was that? Like walking in that dressing room? So it was weird because I flew to, jersey and they were playing jersey that night so i had to sit in the the airport not it wasn't the main airport but you know the private airports yeah i had to sit in the lobby of that and wait till the game was over and then they showed up on the bus and they walked by and shaking hands the one nice thing was because lindy ruff was there so i knew lindy and curtis brown who played world juniors with us and stuff. Yeah. So, so at least I had, and I'd gone to the draft with Brownie and he's from Saskatchewan and I knew him quite well. So I'd spent lots of times with Curtis. So that was kind of a, it's a small world, the hockey world. It's very rare. You don't know anyone, but he was the one guy I could kind of chum with and sit next yeah, to. That's nice. on, he's on doing broadcasting for the sharks now. Eh? Did you know that? Oh, uh, is he? Okay. I didn't know. I just I saw him. I, I got center ice this year. So I'm watching yeah. the game and I look and I'm like, who's that Osama bin Laden looking <laughs> oh, like guy. Big, uh, oh my gosh. Beard. He's got the big shraggy beard. And like, yeah. it was hilarious. So it was good to see Brownie again. I hadn't seen him forever, but, uh, 
yeah, I mean, it does help to know somebody for sure. One one story that uh, I'll tell you quick. I know you got to go here, and geez, we didn't even get into half of it. But uh, so I had my car. So I had that. I mean, obviously, you probably don't remember, but I bought a Beamer, a BMW mm-hmm. 328 convertible. Yeah. And I bought that in, in North Carolina. So I got. I was like last cut. I think the year up my first year pro. Bought that in North Carolina, and then when they called me up the first time. Like they told me that I was, you know, going to be for a while so I could like bring my car down. Right. So they flew me, but then my mom was able to bring my car. So I had my car in Florida, play my 19 games, get sent down and then get traded like a week later. So like my car was still in Florida. Nemo calls me when I'm in Toronto and he's like, Kirk Muller's driving your car. I hope you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) So Muller's driving my car because I gave Nemo my keys. Right. Can you imagine if that happened now in today's game? Nope. Well, I wouldn't. That's no. That's not happening nowadays. No. And I totally was okay with it. So I mean, Kirk Muller, we never did. I never did cross paths with him again. But yeah, you still owe me rent for that Beamer rental. I got a few cheap guys that lived at my house and never paid any rent. (laughs) When I'm busted down and broken a few years, I'll be calling up favors. There you go. Um, We got five minutes left. I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you. You you mentioned the three. The three rides to the to the final. Um, one was a sweep. One was in Game Six, Triple OT, and one was a Game Seven loss. It what and every every time that was the first year you're with the team too, and I yeah. loved, which I thought was super interesting. Um, whether you win or lose, you get that far that galvanizes the team, and I'm sure there's tons of memories there and tons of close friendships from those. It, did, does any one of those stand out more, and for any particular reason? No, no, they don't stand out more or less with Florida. It was way, it was very unexpected. Uh, But I could put the loss against Colorado to bed a lot easier than the other two because we weren't going to beat Colorado. They were too good. Yeah. Forsberg and Sackick and Waugh and Foot and the Oz. Like they'd, we beat Pittsburgh with Lemieux and Yager, which was a, a huge accomplishment and we had an awesome team at, but Colorado was just playing at next level so we weren't going to beat them and they swept us and so you can kind of live with that one a little bit better uh going to Buffalo I think we I don't think we lost that series I think Brett Hull's foot was in the crease and I think it was very clear all year that they didn't allow those goals uh, and I don't know that we win game seven if we get there, but that one to me, we never lost. Yeah, and, a- and the team that should have won was Calgary, uh, uh, but we were so beat up and we didn't have, well, Regeer had a broken foot. And Sean Donovan was out. We were so, so uh, injured. We couldn't, uh, we ran out of steam. I can remember playing in game seven uh, and uh, Marty St. Louis coming down on me one-on-one and I'm going, I'm tired. Like, <laughs> He's coming at me and I'm literally in my head. I'm like, it's game seven Stanley cup finals. And I'm having a hard time moving my feet. And it's because you were so tired. It was, I mean, I, I was a decent player, but I shouldn't be playing 23 minutes a night for two months in a row. I wasn't a good at, uh, yeah. if, if we hadn't had the injury bug in Calgary, I, I have little doubt we would have won that series. The, uh, what about the environment in the cities? I mean, I remember I was the year of the rat, like Florida yeah. was, was, I mean, I mean, as far, as much as Florida can be a hockey town, it was a hockey town for that little, uh, not hockey town. Miami was a hockey town for that little bit of time. Um, 
Buffalo, I don't remember what it was like there. The Red Mile was obviously absolutely insane. Uh, what do you? What's your recall from from that aspect? I, I'm almost the exact same as you. It's weird. Like in Florida, it was huge. I mean, it was a year of the rat, and there was a lot of. And because we were a third year team, there was a lot of people that were more than happy to cheer for the Florida Panthers. Nobody hated the Florida Panthers, and if you could across the uh, across the globe, I think they fell in love with what the was story. happening in Florida yeah. and with the rats and stuff. I remember going out of the ranks. It's weird. I hadn't gone back to Florida since I got traded till this last fall. I took my kids and family on a anti-COVID trip, if you want to call it that. And I went back to that rink and just had some of the memories and stuff. And that practice rink was such a dump. But I remember leaving that rink and Scrooge had put in a, philo- uh, a mandate that when you leave the rink, you sign everyone's autograph if they're standing in line and man, you'd stand there for an hour signing autographs and they'd have the radio stations parked outside. And it, it was, people got behind it and it was great. I think it really helped that franchise in Buffalo. It's a hockey town, but there wasn't one central place where people kind of went or hung out. Uh, so I hardly re- I was living in a hotel room and I was hanging out with Joey Juno and riding in his sidecar on his Harley Davidson. That was my excitement during that playoff. Run. <laughs> so I, I know the town was excited about it, but I don't remember it being as wild as Florida. And then Calgary was just kind of a next level thing where they'd been out of it for so long. Like they hadn't won a series since 89. We're going into this, that season without any praying to make make the play i mean it was save the flames they had a a save the flames buy season tickets like it was that's how dire it was that's that at the start of that season and then kiprasov comes along and uh, and we kind of ride his coattails and we learn to play as a team and kind of suck it up and but that red mile i lived if i went out my back deck i could listen to the red mile so it was it was mayhem that's crazy. Last question, just about that year, because you had Iggy, um, which is so crazy, right? Because you're the, we're the same age as him, and now he's a Hall of Famer and you know icon, best best flame to ever live. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and you're around that at the time, him in his prime, um, essentially, and we grew up together as, as juniors. Like, his go ahead. Well, he got traded at World Juniors when we were there. Yeah. I can remember sitting in the hotel room, and he and he he's he's like he got called out of the room we were in, and he's like. I got traded. <laughs> like what? Yeah. I, yeah. I like, so it, it, it's, yeah. It's so wild. But then him, like that was like, not, that wasn't his coming out party. Cause he was already established. And that was essentially him and his prime baby. But that team, like you mentioned saying that that team should have won. When you look at that team on paper, Iggy had 41 goals. Next was Sean Donovan was 18. Like that was yeah. Jerome McGinley's team, you know? And, oh, and then there was Mika Kiprasov, right? But I was wondering like for you in your mind, like, if you were to put the crown on one of those two, like who would you put it on? Because it was, I mean, those, they both oh. had huge shoulders for that team, but like, <laughs> I don't, I don't make me do it. Cause I can't like, honestly, right. uh, you're going nowhere. You needed them both. Right. Yeah. Like we couldn't score enough without Iggy. Iggy had some shifts in that playoff run that are as good a shift as has ever been played in the NHL. So, you can't discount that, but without Kipper backstopping us, we're nowhere. Like we're not in the playoffs. So both those guys were just phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. 
during the playoffs, and they're a whole. I, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't put a crown on either yeah. one of them because we don't win. If there's only one of them, we don't win. We don't go anywhere. Yeah. We're not in the playoffs with just one. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty wild time. So close too, right? Like my gosh, like you said, it keeps you up wow. at night. Well, and then uh, game six in Calgary, we lost in double OT and stuff. So, but we made it so hard on ourselves. Like uh, we wouldn't put teams away, and we'd go long overtime games and, and and people discount one of the things too i learned uh that playoff run was the difference in travel and how staggering like when in buffalo florida didn't have the best travel in the east but it was it's 10 times better than anywhere in the west yeah. and in buffalo we play ottawa we were home 45 minutes after the flow, you're home, Boston, same thing. Like Toronto, we took the bus up and back. Like it was right. the travel was nothing. Whereas in Calgary, your time zones, you're going one way you're to the Pacific coast, you're going to Detroit to the East. You're, you're losing sleep. It was just, it's way, way more uh, draining to try and win out of the West. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're beat up. Um, I'm going to respect your time, Warren. We'll have to do this again if you're willing. We'll get absolutely. into maybe a little. Yeah, it's been yeah. it's fun. Like I said, the time just absolutely flies. But I mean, I guess it should. I mean, we've been 20 years probably. Is it been like probably? That, that's crazy, man. It's been probably that long since you and I have had a conversation. So I guess we can we can spend an hour doing it and not feel bad about it. <laughs> well, I, and I, I'm glad you've aged better than I have. You look a little better than my... <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were swimming laps in that pond behind your house. Yeah. I saw that uh, that MTV oh, yeah. Cribs thing. <laughs> I better swim more laps if that's the case. Hey, how old are your kids before we go? Because I heard you got three boys. Yeah, three boys. They keep me uh, busy and drive me wild. Twelve, nine, and seven. So twelve, nine, and seven. That's it's... awesome. So I got uh, eleven, ten, and eight. Okay. So All we're boys right in the too? same ballpark. All boys too, man. Oh so. boy, get them together and they can fight each other. That'll be fun. Oh my yeah. God, that would be wild. We'll do it. Cause Once mayhem. this COVID thing can screw off, we'll, we'll get them together and see yeah. who's toughest. We'll <laughs> mayhem. All right, buddy. Well, thanks again for your time. Um, I'll let you run here, but we will. We got to do this again. That was awesome stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us again here at Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. Hope you enjoyed that conversation today with Rhett Warner. Uh, we could have gone on and on and on and on. Um, it's been 25 years since I talked to that man. Uh, probably 25, yeah, 24. And that just blows my mind when I start thinking of that. That's like two and a half decades. Anyways, heck of a guy. Hockey's such an amazing place. I'm sure there's other, other venues and arenas where the same thing happens, but... It just really seems like if you were once a part of a team or a hockey player, you were always part of that team. And it's such an easy place to pick up that conversation again and uh, feels like we just never left. So, uh, Rhett, I appreciate your time. I uh, appreciate you sharing those stories with us and your perspective on things. We didn't even get into half of your career, which is usually the, the case, um, or you being a father now. Uh, and what that means to you and if they're involved in hockey and now looking at the game from that from that lens uh, but there's so much more and plus all of your community work I wanted to get into that too Rhett has been known throughout his career for someone who got involved in the community and wanted to give back uh, and and I wanted to talk about what that meant to him and how important he feels it is for younger athletes to get involved in that so uh, I know it's personally something that I want to have a much bigger focus on with my teams um, going forward. You know, there's usually fundraising activities for the teams, but I think it'd be amazing to have some type of initiative um, 
that these players and the team is involved in doing something that's beneficial to the community. And that's something where I think that I've missed uh, an opportunity. So I'd love to hear what Rhett would say about that or what other coaches out there have done in the past to, uh, to get the team your team, your young athletes involved, and whether that's from a minor hockey level or whether that's an academy level or even a, a junior hockey level. I know the NHL teams always uh, make it a point to get their players out in the community, and uh, and I think hockey players should be recognized as that. They should be they should be acknowledged as being good advocates of the community and good advocates for uh, for the sport and for helping other people and caring about others so keep doing the good work out there for all of you that are doing that and um, until next time play hard and keep your head up